Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, one minute at a time. In this, our fifth season, we are looking at Joe Johnston's 2011 film, Captain America, The First Avenger. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright, and I'm in a recovery room in New York City. <laughs> Today, we're talking about Minute 112, which begins with a gorgeous day at Ebbets Field and ends with Steve's skepticism. Back on the show, it's Steve Sarmento. Hello, Steve. I'm Steve Skepticism, and I'm on the radio. <laughs> this, yeah, so basically, we are following Steve as he wakes up in this bed. As you said, he's fully dressed. He's got his, his, uh, his same uniform, basically, that he went into the test tube with when he uh, was transformed. And, uh, you know, he uh, is looking around, filling the bed and stuff and, and listening to the radio. This is really kind of what's going on here. Again, it's very sepia. Um, I mean, how does this play? Do you feel skeptical as Steve does, as you're watching this? Is there, is there, are there hints of something amiss or does this feel normal? And it just seems like he's in a daze because I'm not a fan of the sports ball. I was like, okay, he's just, there's a baseball game on and there's nothing suspicious. Does he smell something? Is it the, is he waking <laughs> up thinking, why is the world sepia tone? Uh, you know, I, for me, I could not get a beat on like why he would sense that something is, is off, but it's clear he suspects something is not right. And I could not put my finger on that on my first watch. As I dig into research, I can say, oh, I, I now know why he, he, senses that things are wrong but for me and i think probably the vast majority of americans that are not up on you know historic baseball games there's no reason to think that there's anything wrong yeah you'd have to really be a baseball fan to to listen to a game from 1941 and know that it's a game from 1945 <laughs> like that's After that takes a, a certain special for person 70 years <laughs> Yes. <laughs> that feels like like he's not groggy at all. He looks great when he sits up. Like he's there's no crap in his eyes. What's going no, on? No. I know. He's got no Igu. He just that's what super soldier serum keeps you, you know, from getting sweaty and crusty, I guess. And clearly some people have been keeping uh, taking care of him. So, you know, knowing the nurses that generally were around Steve, I'm sure there were some some beautiful nurses who were helping keep him clean, give him sponge baths while he was laying in the bed <laughs> and comb his hair, make sure he parted it the right way, getting the crust out of his eyes. Are you telling us what happened or are you telling us a dream you had the other night about yourself? <laughs> Asking for a friend. <laughs> this, <laughs> yes. So anyway, they are the the eye crust nurses, and they helped keep his eye crust clean. <laughs> it's a whole squadron that shield whole employs. Squadron, <laughs> a whole fleet. I'm sure if we go to to some some war memorials, there's a whole like a whole <laughs> cement row of eye crust nurses. <laughs> yeah so glad that exists in history now yeah, right it's an important part it is an important part um i i wanted to just give you a few dates just um this is from the marvel wiki just to you know give us a sense of time as far as what has been happening um or where we perhaps are steve as we know we've talked about it before he went into the ice it was february 4th 1945 um, and then it was actually publicly announced he was missing March 4th, 1945, several months before VE Day, which was in May. And so um, and we didn't talk about that, the fact that the public 
would have already had a sense from the news that Captain America had gone missing in March, um, which is interesting. And so we don't really have a whole lot of information. Again, we're still assuming it's 1945 or at least the 1940s at this point. Um, just a, a little bit of a, additional information. In December 1949, um, that's when Stark, uh, Colonel Phillips, and Agent Carter actually put a plan in place to transition the SSR into S.H.I.E.L.D., which they start doing in the 50s. So that's kind of the transformation of that and kind of the evolution that they are going to be taking um, at some point. But anyway, I don't want to get too far ahead, uh, far ahead of ourselves. So uh, sticking just with this scene, let's talk about this space that he's in and um, the mistakes that <laughs> are made in the attempt to gaslight Steve Rogers. Who would like to go first? <laughs> Who would like to take a turn? Well, I think Steve, as the guest, is always gets the inaugural swing. I get the, the inaugural swing of how did they make that room sepia tone? How did they do that? <laughs> I would love to know the filters, yeah. I mean, I know when they are, and so I didn't know that, you know, Stark had invented technology to make room sepia tone. That's right. Um, at some point in the future. So, that I mean, that was the one thing that my my wife turned to me and said, this really bothers me, that this is still sepia tone. I said, well, you know, only now that you know other things later on. She said, yes, now it's problematic on a rewatch of like, no. And, and then it is, well, we have to be tricking the audience, right? We have to be fooling the audience. We're going to use all the tricks to make you think certain things. People in hospital beds that are dressed and windows that... From what I see through the screen at a certain angle, looks like, oh, that could be outside. If I were in that room, would that really look like outside if it's not really outside? I don't know. You know, there's there's <laughs> things going on that, you know, I I mean, I, I don't know anything about uh, lighting in the 40s. So the lamp that's on the table, I don't know how accurate that is historically. The radio, uh, I mean, everything looks like it's supposed to feel of a certain time. And this is one of these things where it's far enough in the past, unless I was watching this with like my grandparents or something, for them to say, that's not historically accurate for 1944. Um I think that's it's something that we're just going to assume that everybody is fooled enough to think this looks this is continuing to look like that period piece. Yeah, we need to not we need to believe that it's 1944 because that makes Steve smarter than us. That's the important part. Like, I think they do an able job of making it look that way. And then when Steve first, you know, hurls the soldiers through the, the wall in the next minute, we get the, the reveal that things are not as they seem. And but but in and the this world minute, is no longer sepia tone at that. The point. world is no longer <laughs> right. sepia once tone. he's out of the space. Yeah. Exactly. And and I think that's like we we have to be on the bus and the sepia tone and everything like. But the only thing I can think about is that windows open and I guarantee you he is smelling the future right now because I'm sure <laughs> yes. that New York did not smell like it does in that room, right, in that hangar. Well, to that point, though, um, you know, again, we're designing this to feel like 
it's from it's from the camera's perspective what we're going to see. We never see Steve get up. If Steve gets up and looks out the window, they're screwed. If Steve happens to recognize that this baseball game took place four years earlier, they're screwed. If they if if the nurse happens to be holding something that looks futuristic, they're screwed. Like there are so many things that they are doing that I don't know. It ends up as we find out in the next minute. I mean, at this point. It just, you know, the music is really the thing that tells us something is amiss because Steve is looking around skeptically and the music cue comes in to say, ooh, something's wrong. Um, but and so we don't know exactly what's going to give things away for Steve. But um, I don't know. I guess it's interesting that that S.H.I.E.L.D. seemed to miss the ball with some of the things that they could have done. And I guess it just speaks to me as they were rushing because they they had no idea how long he would be um, unconscious. I guess that's kind of the way I have to take it. Well, that question, though, Andy, also for me is how long did they plan on keeping him in the dark, right? Like they wanted to take it slow with him because they thought that he would be he would go into some sort of shock. But like, what was their what was their longer game? Like, did she come in ostensibly to ease him into the future or just to lie to him and come in and out and and string it on for days? That's the part that always just feels shady to me. Yeah. Uh, yes, exactly. I mean, he's dressed in a way. I mean, you have him in a hospital gown. He's far less likely to like bolt out of the room. He's got pants and shoes on <laughs> yeah. and everything. He's like, I'm going to take a stroll down the hallway. Why, why won't you? I'm dressed to go out. Let me get out of this room. Uh, yeah, we're, so, not, yeah, we're not in Thor 4 yet. Right. Right. It, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Right. So there's there's multiple things of the, the, the charade's going to fall pretty fast. And I didn't know if you wanted to get into the baseball game now, or if you were going to get into that more in the next minute when there's more about that. I, I, I think we can talk a little bit about that. I'm sure we'll talk about it today and uh, in our next minute, but okay. um, that's you know, the thing sure. that, you know, as my wife and I watched this, she said, why, why is this baseball game suspicious to him? Right. You can tell he's, as he asked the nurse, like, where am I? And then he, he hears the game and it's like, no, and he turns again. He's he's startled, and we thought, who's going to remember? Even a diehard fan, are you going to remember a game from, you know, three weeks ago by just hearing a specific play? So I I researched this to find out about this game and how famous this game is. It's a legendary game for multiple reasons. So then I thought, this is why there's something suspect about that. That's why they picked this particular game, because the the Dodgers and the Phillies, the one of the star Dodgers players had been hit by a pitch by the Phillies pitcher. And you hear that in in the broadcast of like, oh, last time he was about this pitcher, he got beamed. So but this this player had was like one of the greatest players at the time. Fast, one of the fastest runners would hurl him as outfielder would hurl himself into the wall to to go after a ball. It injured himself multiple times. So he's a legendary figure. And so this game and he was the this play that is described here is one of the last in the park grand slams ever. The, the, it was decades, I think, before there was another one. So it's multiple reasons why this game in particular might stick in a baseball fan's mind. Yeah. So, because you know, for me, not knowing that, it, like, 
This seems, is he super smart? Is he got Google in his head? And he can recall, look, recall any game. No, it's something very specific. So I have to credit well, them with, well, he does. But. Well, yes, <laughs> but I do have to credit them with, if you're a fan of the Dodgers, and you know, your baseball history, this is a game that's going to stand out. So I have to give them credit for picking an iconic moment in, in Dodgers history, uh, for this moment to give some credibility. It wasn't just, you know, Steve was a baseball fan and remembered a game that he may have been at. It's this specific game is something that everybody would have been talking about for a long time. So I think that's important to understand when it comes to the credibility of Steve starting to question things. We'll talk more about the game next time, but yeah. Does this feel like a familiar trope to you guys uh, using, you know, radio to as a trick of time? It feels like this isn't the first time we've seen this in play, but I can't place any other movies where it's been done. Um, where, like, somebody hears something on the radio that clues them in that things are... That something is wrong. What they... with, yeah. Yeah. Um, I do feel like that's something that I've heard before, um, but I don't know if I could um, pinpoint... Oh, well, here, I'm looking on tvtropes.org, our favorite place, oh, and there is a trope there, called yeah. the anachronistic clue. Ah, there we go. Yeah, and that is uh, when he wakes up in an unfamiliar, unfamiliar room, realizing something is not right. The radio is playing. Um, also, it says, so aside from the radio, <laughs> I, I, lo I love the site. They dig deep. He's also likely clued in because the, the woman who comes in, we'll talk about her in a minute. She's wearing a haircut that didn't come into vogue before the mid-2000s. American professional women in the 40s did not wear their hair loose like that. And a style of bra that didn't exist before the 90s. A modern push-up bra that is not properly fitted so the edge of the cups can clearly be seen through her period blouse. Because yeah, so Steve's because Steve is definitely a bra expert. We know he is that a, he's he is. a real bra man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, so I mean, I think that's an interesting uh, point, though, Pete. That there is this element of kind of that anachronistic clue that he's hearing this thing that is telling him something is wrong. Now, I think that when she comes in, she could have said something to clue him in oh this is an old broadcast or something you know um but that would also require her to know that and i don't know if she has any particular sense of what the game is it doesn't seem like she knows it, you know she's a shield agent in 2012 probably has no clue that this was a, a particular baseball game from 1941 she just made if anything she knew well as an old game right yeah uh, but i do like the way that it does give a sense of that of that suspicion and again for the three of us non non baseball fans without knowing that information there still is something that catches steve's ear about it and i think that it does play kind of interestingly um to your point though pete it does make me wonder like is there intention for shield to have done this because the question that i would then come to as a an issue with the film is like why would the writers choose to pick a game that clearly took place beforehand unless the intention was we needed a reveal to show that Steve was suspicious. Like they could have had a game from 1945 or 1946 playing and then Nick Fury comes in. Like um, what is, I don't know, I guess, is there a reason that at this point in the film, they, they feel we need to somehow be tricking Steve now. And I, I don't know. It just, it ends up feeling like, very written again like many things in the film yes it's more about tricking the audience than tricking steve is 
really what this moment feels like because we've we've set everything up and it's like oh he's still alive oh it's still the 40s oh wait till we pull that out from under you and the power of that moment versus the logic for why if steve's recovered they're trying to make him you know yes culture shock one thing possibly but clearly they didn't do a good job of that and you would think that with plenty of you know time to research things they could have pulled that off better but then again like to what end as, as pete said like what how long are you going to keep him in this illusion of being in the 40s what what's your end game you know and and why not uh you know because we don't know how long it is between when he's recovered from the ice and when he wakes up has this been two days a week a month how long was he another 16 years yes I, he's just been dressed in the bed <laughs> <laughs> and i mean the other piece is you know what caused him to wake up i think we're led to believe it's the sound of the game that wakes him up but was he drugged and the drugs wore off so they knew he was going to be waking up uh why is why is the nurse walking at this time is the room being monitored so they see that he's woken up so that's her cue to enter or you know there's there's lots of questions and it's these things that you start pulling on one and everything's just starts not holding up as well as it needs to because it's an artifice to that's put in place to get a specific reaction from the audience which is it's not about the story at that point it's about let's give you that memorable wow moment but let me let me just be clear. I'm here for it. Like at this point in the movie, I am totally OK with that manipulation because one, it's really only over the course of about 45 seconds of screen time. And I like that Steve is too smart for me in this moment. I like that I've been led down that path because that's the level that he's ahead of me. He's supposed to be ahead of me. He's the superhero. And now we get into the the next, you know, as we lead into the next minute, we're in our reality that is familiar to me. I'm OK with I'm really OK with it, even if I see it coming. Yeah. And I, I think that's really what it boils down to. Yes, it feels written. Yes, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But at the same time, would it have been better for Nick Fury to just walk into the room and say, hey, glad you're up, by the way, it's 70 years later? Or no. would it be better to show <laughs> Steve like, yeah, throw soldiers through the wall, run out into the modern New York, into the noisiest, busiest place that he could and and have the that final conversation there that's the visual that you want in a movie and so yeah i, I mean it absolutely makes sense because that's the um, and, perfect yeah. place to have like a super soldier you're trying to convince us 1940 is in a room that's right off Times Square. That's the perfect place <laughs> to have that because there's no way like ambient sound or the, you know, city, you know, sounds are going to in any way disrupt that or, you know, intrude on that illusion at that's all. That's right, not Steve, like he... of course. <laughs> <laughs> it that's, does, but, yeah. that's where S.H.I.E.L.D. has their, you know, secure <laughs> location is just like you open some double doors and boom, you're right there out on the street. Well, that is what's funny. A lot does change over 70 years because the only SSR that we know is deep underground under like in, many in square blocks of Brooklyn. And now they just, right, they're right. able to shine <laughs> yeah. in the now sky. They're on Broadway. Yes, yeah. yes exactly. <laughs> no, I guess. Yeah. And I guess that would have, you know, yes, put it. In, I don't know what happened to the antique store and in, in the whole SSR base that was below there. And that would have made sense to me of, oh, it's there. It's a familiar place. Because then even if he got out, it's like, oh, yeah, 
you, you dress up, you put on the whole show, right? Of like, oh, it's SSR. You know, it's been a couple of years, Steve. And so that's why you don't recognize any of these places. That's why we don't have, you know, familiar women grabbing you and kissing you in the, you know, behind the stacks of, of stuff. But yeah, again, it's 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 not about that. That would be a storytelling point. This is about the the shock of the the twist. Well, and to a certain extent, this is really the like the mid or post credits sequence for the film. I mean, we had that break. The film right. could have ended there, as yes. we said yeah. in the last yeah. minute. Right. And then we could have just jumped into the credits and then, and then at the end this. of the credits yeah. had this and I mean I, I guess Marvel wasn't quite at that point where they were doing the mid and the the post credit uh, sequences, but um, essentially that's what this is. And so to that end, they need to do it quick. They need to make it flashy. And uh, you know, I mean, yeah, I agree with you, Pete. I'm here for it. It's fun. In the context of what we're getting out of the movie, they they give me what I need. So, all right, our Shield agent who comes into the room. Uh, this is. The most uh, the most recent cast member that we've had arrive in a while, and we really only have one other who's going to be showing up in the next minute. Uh, but this is Amanda Rigetti. Uh, IMDb game for Amanda Rigetti. I'm going to tell you what her four films are because I'm guessing um, neither of you are familiar with Amanda Rigetti. But I will say she's actually in quite some big stuff. I got nothing. Do, do yeah? Do either of you want to guess or no? No, <laughs> Captain. I'm going to say one of them is Captain America: The First Avenger. <laughs> you are right. I don't think she's okay. been in anything bigger than this. Well, you'd be wrong. Oh. Um, well, I, I guess <gasps> oh, oh, you'd be wrong oh, really? in the scope of um, where she's had bigger opportunities. Let's just say, okay, uh, Captain right. America: The First Avenger. Yes, that is the number one. Second is the 2009 remake of Friday the Thirteenth, in which she played Whitney Miller. So she was oh, one of the leads in that film. Okay. Third is a film I've never heard of called Queer Fish in God's Waiting Room, um, which, uh, you know, she, I don't know if it's a short, I'm not exactly sure what it is. Uh, it is a short, it's a short film um, that Adrian Pazdar directed, actually. So okay. clearly bigger um, than this movie. Yes, that, that's what you're saying. Okay. Well, no, last but not least, <laughs> oh, okay. she was in The Mentalist. Um, and that show, uh, which ran for seven years, she was in 132 episodes well, of that show. Okay, Don't I she was terrible. one of the one of the season regulars uh, for the show, which I've never seen, but I heard a lot of good things about it. Did I? Were either of you fans of of The Mentalist? Well, I did. I I've watched some episodes. I would not have been <laughs> able to tell you that she was in it, but I have watched some episodes. The other show, though, that competed with The Mentalist, I think, was. Tim Roth was in this show where he played uh, he played um, the lie detector guy, a guy that was always ahead, a consultant. Uh, yeah, a lie detector guy. And I watched a lot of that. And it, you, you'd think I'd be able to remember a the name of the show, b the name of the star. I remember none of that stuff. Uh, but it, I did watch a lot of that show when it was on. It was pretty empty calories, but I enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, and so that's what I think of when you say mentalist. That's what I think of is the lie detector guy show with Tim Roth. With abomination. Oh, <laughs> lie to me. Lie, lie to, to me. me. That's what wow. I, yes, I, that is, is the yeah. worst that I couldn't even remember the show. Lie to me and lie is in the title. <laughs> oh, uh, well, I mean, that's another Marvel uh, Marvel thing with Tim Roth in it. Uh, but no, she was not in that. It is uh, it is the mentalist that she was in. But yeah, very big role in that show. So that's Amanda Rigetti. 
our SSR agent with the wrong hairstyle and the wrong bra for the period. And the wrong remote control device for the period. And the wrong remote control device for the period, yes. We don't get to see that in this minute, but yes, there is definitely something there. I do wonder, there is, when Steve gets up, we do see on the little nightstand next to him, there's uh, a pitcher of water and a newspaper. And I am curious now, like, did they did they look at the date when they <laughs> printed up that old paper <laughs> to put there? Um, since the game, obviously, they weren't paying particularly close attention to. But I am wondering if Steve sat up and just like, oh, the paper, and started reading the paper. Yeah. Would that have thrown him? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that's a really yeah. good question. Again, who's it? Yeah. Wouldn't it be? All wouldn't it have been is... great if that's the thing that related? Who is this George Bush guy? They <laughs> 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 do all uh, this work uh, to dress sure. it up as the <laughs> and, <laughs> and they miss <laughs> uh, the shield. Uh, is that what would the role for that be? It, like to create this room? Do they basically like call a movie company and say, "Hey, we need a production designer, somebody to come in and build a fake room for us"? It's uh, Andy. It, shield actually has an entire salary band titled Shield Continuity, and uh, that, that's just what they do. It's a, they're they're staging lots of stuff, man. Lots that's of true. Stuff. I wonder who else they're trying to gaslight. <laughs> and I wonder That's if they're the hiring. Part of <laughs> <laughs> well, clearly um, somebody right. lost their job over that radio broadcast. So <laughs> right. there may be exactly. an opening for right. radio broadcast continuity within S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> exactly. Um, the only last thing I had for this minute is I just really love Chris Evans, uh, the way that he performs, the confusion, the skepticism leading into that very last eye movement that he has at the very end of this minute when he's kind of looking off uh, to the distance and then he just moves his eyes to look at up, up at her as he uh, starts his last line of inquiry there. I, I love that simple eye movement that he have there. It has there. It, it says a lot. Well, and we get the the uh, the Martin Sheen Apocalypse Now camera above the van, uh, which if, if <laughs> the room were even a little bit more sweaty, it, it possibly could have uh, made that a more convincing uh, a parallel. But I, that, I, for me, I was there for okay. it. <laughs> like, I, I imagine Martin as a guest. No, that would have uh, been. Yes, yeah. that's what you know, that's probably what the plan was, was the nurse would come in leave close the door and then we just get you know steve rogers sort of flailing around in the room in the fan and just pontificating on red skull <laughs> some karate and, yes punching and just punching yeah. mirrors all of that just trying to just uh you know the red skull uh yes i just love that, that. Oh, biggest, we clearly all three of us saw the same minute that's good that we're yes, all right yes, there that's yes. the biggest that's, problem with all of that is steve can't get drunk and so that's true that whole element that <laughs> then, doesn't doesn't play it. as yeah, well still. that's true uh well it was a good minute uh steve this is the last minute we get to have with you this week uh, it's going to be uh, a few different guests hopping in and out this week so, what we have been asking our guests is, do you have a favorite Captain America moment from any of the films um, or TV shows or comics, whatever your fancy, but do you have a moment that you would say is your favorite? Oh, uh, oh. I, <laughs> yes. And so I can't name it specifically. That's that's the issue. But I when that, that's like, sort of the game, Steve. Yeah, I know. But it's <laughs> you I didn't think hear it's Andy in, just now, right? No, yeah, I did. So okay. I, I can't name the comic issue, but it's in the comic, it's in the whole it's in the whole Civil War 
piece. And there's something, there was something in there. And I, there's a moment where I don't know how they conveyed it. And it was something that just always stuck with me to see how it carried over to the MCU is just like, what a great tactician Steve Rogers is, is that he can come into a situation and just assess very quickly strengths, weaknesses. And I think it really ties into this minute really well of like being able to look around and say, there's something that doesn't feel right, right away. And it was something that I think about how they capture that in a comic book. There's just a few lines of dialogue and a few frames to, to capture the essence of this man who is just brilliant when it comes to strategy. And so that that's really something I'd never thought about or really, you know, wasn't really into the Marvel stuff as a kid, uh, but was familiar with all these characters. But then really seeing that aspect of him just in that series of comics gave me a lot more respect for the character of Captain America, made me appreciate him in a way that I hadn't before and realized that he's more than just a guy with a shield, that he's just this really brilliant guy that and that's something that I had a lot of respect for, how they carried that through, I think, uh, in the MCU of, of giving him that ability. I don't know if anyone's uh, pulled uh, the, the comics for Civil War up for that, so that's awesome. Yeah, um, I and so. I'm going to have to look into that to see if I can in point the panels but um i'm just glad you were finally able to actually tell us yeah i thought i, I thought was just you were gonna, gonna, gonna just say i do have a favorite yeah but i can't I tell can't you tell what you. it is that's, that's what that, i thought we that's were right because then <laughs> but, but it's right. a secret <laughs> all right well steve it has been a thrill chatting with you about these two minutes uh this week so thank you again so much for joining us here well, it's been a pleasure being here, and I hope you all wake up to sepia-toned worlds tomorrow. <laughs> uh, if if I do, I will be skeptical. That's That will be the first sign something is amiss. <laughs> all right. Well, tell everybody again uh, where they can uh, tune into some of the shows that you've done. They can tune into all the stuffs on the True Stories things with uh, Trailer Rewind. Uh, hey, you can even dig in the archives of the film board. Uh, three of a kind, just my take on, on movies. But I really encourage people to dig into the archives of the Trailer Rewind. There's a lot of stuff that's on streaming services that we talked about on that series. And hopefully get you to discover a, a new favorite or try something out that you wondered whether it was worth your time great show lots of great episodes everybody check that out the link will be in the show notes we'll be back tomorrow uh with jj uh your uh, partner in crime yes. on a lot of those uh, trailer rewind episodes so we'll be back tomorrow with him so pete thanks as always thank you andy and remember if you're ever unsure turn on the radio <laughs> until next time true believers Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Spread the News by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. Music